But the story didn't end there, right? He gave his one and only son to die on a cross for the sins of the world, and then he would rise again and overcome sin and death. Happy Easter. It is so good to be together today. My name is Amber Carroll, and I am one of the pastors here at Hope Covenant. Um, I'm so glad that you have chosen to come to be here together with us today and worship Jesus to celebrate the miracle of the resurrection together. And we worship here today with millions of Christians around the globe. We're all going to be doing the same thing, finding a church to go to, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And there is something else that I believe we all have in common with other Christians on this day. I think aside from coming to church, we're also going to worry about where to eat brunch. Am I right? Many people are going to leave this room today, and you already know what your plans are. Where are you going to eat? What are you going to celebrate? Just try going to get brunch at a restaurant without reservations on Easter Sunday and see what happens. Or go to Dylan's last minute and buy a ham. Um, we like to eat. We like to celebrate together for shared meals. Um, it's something that we do as a human race in order to um, honor and remember and celebrate meaningful moments in our lives we eat. There's food and drink involved in almost every time we celebrate. And this isn't something that we've made up on our own. I believe we've been programmed to do this. See, in the beginning, God created us, and the very first thing he does for humanity is presents us with a menu. In Genesis 2, it says, he planted a garden and he gave it to humans with trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see celebrations throughout marked with feasting. And we've carried the tradition of celebrating life's greatest moments together around food since the beginning of creation. Celebrations are the best. Uh, I, I especially love a good potluck. Um, I love potlucks. Um, I love celebrations where there's food. I always want to see the dessert table. And if I'm being really honest, I really want to see if there's a good cake. I mean, I really like cake. Not store-bought cake, let's be clear. Homemade cake with homemade frosting. Um, cake plays a major role in a lot of our life's most memorable moments. So let's think about this for a minute. At our one-year birthday of our children, what do we do? We throw them a big party, which is really just for our adult friends and family. And then we do what? We watch our one-year-old smash the cake in their face. It's not about eating the cake, right? It's about getting the picture of them smashing the cake in their face. I love to see that. Maybe that's just me, but I think maybe we're in a crowd. You might like that as well. Here's a picture of my kids, their one-year birthday. Aiden and Mia. Yes, you're so cute. Um, I love that. Now listen, think about the other celebrations in our lives where we celebrate with cake. Our wedding, right? Our wedding day, we want to hear about the bride and the groom and what kind of cake are they going to have and what is it going to look like. But more importantly, what, what do we want to know about their wedding day? Did they smash the cake in each other's face? I know you're wondering. Yes. <laughs> He did have hair. <laughs> uh, 
you know, what a waste of a good cake. We smash in each other's face. Um, and it's an odd tradition we've carried on. You know, seriously, we are grown adults, but we revert right back to our one-year-old selves when we smash cake in each other's faces. The memories I have of the different cakes in my life always bring a smile to my face. And I don't necessarily remember the flavor of the cakes or um, uh, how they tasted, but more importantly, I remember what, what, what the memory brings in remembering that cake, um, the celebration that brought us together for the cake in the first place. For years, my parents, to get my attention, would yell the word cake. Now, I'm going to tell you a story, and it's not to be used against me. Um, but uh, this one time, it only happened one time. My peepaw came to visit and he brought his famous chocolate cake he made from scratch, this amazing chocolate frosting. And I was being uh, summoned from my room, but I was an angsty teenager and I wasn't listening to my parents calling me. But my peepaw yelled, Cake! And I came running down the stairs. I was like, Hey, I'm here. And, and so. They have not let me live that down. They will use the word cake to get my attention. That only works with my mom's voice now, so don't even try. It won't work here. But one year for my mom's birthday, she was a July 3rd baby, I thought it would be great to make her a birthday cake from scratch. And I was in eighth grade, and I had never made a cake before from scratch. I know now you just buy Pillsbury, and it's fine. Um, but I said, okay, so I look at the list of ingredients, milk, check, eggs, check, and it came down, the directions called for soda. Well, I was out of Coke, so I added Sprite. I thought, eh, it's carbonated, bubbly, it'll probably do the same thing. It meant baking soda. And so if you've never made a cake, if you've ever made a cake without baking soda, try it. Let me know how it turns out, because it's terrible. It's the worst thing. And then I concocted this frosting on top, which I think was supposed to be blue, but it was gray, and it like separated with like pools of butter. Oh, it was terrible. We, we had to spit it out, and we thought it would be fun to put a pretty slice. It wasn't really pretty, but put a slice on, the, on a plate for my stepdad, because he wasn't there at the reveal. And we put it in front of him and said, it's really good, and we pretended to take a bite. And he, he took a bite, and he said, what's in this? And he, he like, Wiped, literally wiped his tongue off. I've never made anything so terrible. But, um, shh, yeah. <laughs> Peanut gallery. But to this day, that is my mom's favorite birthday gift I have ever given her. And it's the memory around the food, around the cake. One year for my birthday, I received a cake from our worship team that I was a part of, and they called the, the bakery at, the, at Publix, was our store there, and they said, we want a cake, um, we want to put musical notes across the top with the guitar, and we wanted to say, happy birthday, Amber, and this is what I got. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Isn't that funny? Oh my gosh. Best cake ever. And the best thing is the girl who ordered it was such an airhead. She had no idea. She said, this cake looks weird. I was like, you don't get the, oh, it's great. Anyway, but we remember the key events of our past um, because of what, what the food does, what the, the memory it brings to us. It's so often tied to food. So today, I think we're going to do that. I think we're going to sit in this worship time together, and then I think likely we'll go out and we'll celebrate with a meal after it.
And so for a brief time this morning, I want us to ask the question, why are we here? Why do we celebrate the miracle resurrection, aside from having a reason to eat and celebrate together? Well, we celebrate to remember. Remember that we have hope in a risen Savior. Remember that the sacrificial love of Jesus on that cross gave us eternal access to God. The way of separation and exclusivity was shattered by his victory over death. We celebrate the truth of the resurrection and that Jesus ascended to heaven and is preparing a place for us on the other side of eternity right now. When we look and we remember the bare cross, we, um, we are reminded that Jesus is not there. He's risen. And we too can be conquerors in his resurrection. There's power in the cross. And the cross represents, it's symbolic of the vertical and the horizontal. Okay, the vertical pointing to heaven, the horizontal pointing to humanity. You cannot have without the other or you don't have the cross. See, the cross says we have eternal life with God because of what Jesus did. But we cannot live with our eyes only focused on what happens in heaven. We cannot believe the whole meaning of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was about just the vertical of what happens after we die. Because when Jesus came, he, he, came, he brought heaven down to earth. The kingdom of heaven came here and is here, and we are in eternity right now. Dallas Willard says, eternity is in session right now. So the intersection of the vertical and the horizontal, where heaven meets earth, we are forever changed. And that is why we celebrate this miracle of Easter. That is why we are here. And it is truly a miracle that we get to celebrate Easter because this miracle happened and no one was around to witness it. See, miracles are supposed to be flashy and memorable, right? I mean, like, like the triumphant entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday with the crowds cheering and lots of people there to see it and witness it, that would have been a great setting for a miracle. But when the stone was rolled away, they weren't waiting outside the tomb with streamers and kazoos and a cake, right? Everyone had already given up hope. During the last moments of Jesus' life, his closest friends would desert him, deny that they even knew him. He would be made into a laughing stock, mocked, ostracized, and put to death. The miracle didn't play out for a crowd. It didn't play out for the world. It did not come for a multitude. It happened in the dark of the morning when no one was looking, and it was first revealed by to someone who was not considered a reliable witness in her culture. So let's go to the Word of God today, John 20. If you brought your Bibles, you can pull it out and read it. We're also going to have it up on the screen. But let's read this story of what happened when the, when um, the was realized that the tomb was empty. It said, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance 
So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter, I, I love the disciples. I love their response here, okay? You can just imagine. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in, in at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. I don't think he just kind of like waited outside. Um, but then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Still, they did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had risen from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Okay, so, but, so we have this picture, right? They're racing to get there. They see that it's empty. They both verify, okay, Mary's right. They've taken our Lord and Savior, and they leave. But they don't believe that he's risen yet. So it says, um, what does Mary say? So she says, Mary now um, stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. It's a miracle that we are here today, because no one was there to see it. The first person to witness it was someone who had no voice in the ancient world. And Jesus chose her, a woman, who stayed behind to go and tell the good news to the disciples. So when, when the disciples came to see for themselves that he was gone, they, they climbed over each other and, and, and they, to get there, and it was empty, and they still didn't believe that he had to rise. They believed someone stole his body. And then what did they do? It says they left. They were good at that, right? They left him in the garden while they slept. They left him in the courts denying that they even knew him. They left him on that cross and they scattered. These guys, as best friends, had a track record of not understanding, of not remembering. Think about it. Jesus told them three times what was going to happen. He said, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to raise again in three days. He gave them a timeline. They literally could have been standing outside of the tomb, ready to go, when it rolled away. But they missed it. They missed it. So I have a story. So John is a Denver Broncos fan. John's my husband. 
And um, I would say he's probably more like a fanatic, if that means anything to you. And I remember the first year that, so when I met John um, in 1998, um, I, I learned of his love of the Denver Broncos. So I've kind of followed him through this journey. Um, but I remember this year, uh, the Broncos had drafted Peyton Manning. You guys remember this? Any football uh, lovers in here? And he came on to the Broncos as their new quarterback. So this season, they had a, a losing season. And on this particular game, they were losing to the Chargers. Now, side note, when Broncos are losing in our home, every living creature goes to their space and hunkers down. Okay? We know this. And we know the rule. There is no talking during the game. You can only talk in commercials. If you cannot respect the rule, you cannot watch the game. Right? We know this, right? Okay. But this time was different. John said, I'm not going to sit in the torture and watch my, game, my team lose. So what did he do? He turned off the game. <laughs> Gave up on his team. Well, I'm guessing you might know where the story goes because a little later on, um, after the game was over, he was watching something else on TV. I, um, I'm, getting, I'm doing something upstairs, and I hear this really loud yell. Or it's more like a, like a like a moan, like, oh, no. And I said, oh, no, what's going on? And so I, I, uh, I run downstairs, and it turns out that Peyton Manning led the Broncos from behind to the largest comeback in franchise history. And John missed it. <laughs> he was pacing back and forth. He was like, oh, no. Yeah, okay, he was so excited that they had won. This is exciting. But he missed it. He missed seeing it firsthand and being there in that moment. Now, we have two rules when we watch the Broncos, right? Only talk during the commercials and never give up on your team. I can only imagine what the disciples felt when Mary came to them and said, he was right. He was telling the truth. He's risen. I've seen him. You shouldn't have been talking during those commercials. Shouldn't have turned off the game and given up on your team. The disciples missed it again. But Jesus would appear to them, and he would help them to remember. And this time, when they remember, they would never forget, and they wouldn't miss it. In fact, their encounter with the risen Jesus would change them and the world forever. It would affect them so profoundly that they would stop at nothing to spread the good news they gave their lives for it. And it's because of their commitment that you and I are here today. So they had already given up everything to follow Jesus. They pretty much had already lost everything. They lived for three years immersed in ministry with Jesus. So what was it? What did it take for them when Jesus, the resurrected Jesus appeared to them? What did it take for them to realize that Jesus actually overcame death. So let's, let's look at that for a minute here. Have you ever noticed the relationship that Jesus had with food? I mean, I've shared my cake love, but let's look at what Jesus' relationship was with food. I think Jesus was the original foodie. Um, I think if Jesus had an Instagram, he'd be that friend who posts photos of his dinner plates. Um, I think he loved food. I know he loved food. So the, one day, people are, are following Jesus, and they're hungry. And what does he do? He multiplies five loaves and two fish, and he feeds thousands of people. And he doesn't just feed them. He had leftovers, like 
baskets of leftovers, kind of like a Hope Covenant Church potluck, although we typically don't have leftovers, but we kind of exaggerate food provision here. And Jesus did that there. People asked Jesus, what is the kingdom of heaven like? Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven's like a banquet. He loves food. Someone asked Jesus, who are you? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The very last thing he does with his disciples is have supper with them in the last supper in the upper room. And so he's experienced food and all of these miracles and, and ministry with his disciples over food. And so they miss the resurrection. They're scattered, hopeless. They don't understand. They don't know what to do next. And it says that they're walking along the road to Emmaus and they encounter Jesus although they don't know they've encountered him yet. And they get engaged in this intriguing conversation. They're sharing with Jesus all of these things that have happened over the last week, and they're going on and on about Mary's revelation. And, but they don't know it's Jesus. They just know they're really interested in this guy. And so they, they, it's getting dark, and they urge him to come back home with them. And they, they, it says they urged him strongly to come back. I think the conversation went something like this. Jesus says, okay, they don't get it, it's me. He's like, okay, I'm going to go home now. And the disciples say, but it's getting late. Jesus says, oh, it's okay, I'm fine. The disciples say, we're going to have dinner. Jesus, okay, if you insist. And it says, while he was at the table with them, he broke bread, gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Ah, it's Jesus, right? Another time that he appears to the disciples after the resurrection, he's walking along the beach, and Peter doesn't recognize him. Jesus says, hey, Peter, do you have anything to eat? And the disciples are out fishing, and they, and they come in, and they look at this man. It's Jesus, and he's making breakfast. And Peter turns to Philip and says, ah, oh, this is the Jesus we know. And Jesus didn't do this. His love for food wasn't because he was a compulsive eater. I think there's an unlikely missing symbol of the Christian faith. If you think about it, Jesus didn't say, look at the cross and remember me. He said, each time you sit around the table and you break bread with each other, do so and remember me. Jesus created a community of the table. In that culture, to be welcoming and affirming and accepting of someone was to invite them in and eat with them. But there, women and children and the unclean were excluded from these table communities. But at the Jesus table community, everyone was welcome. When I think of the cross, I think of humanity being reconciled to God. When I think of the table, I see a loving father who saw people on the margins, outcasts, orphans, those without a voice, money, power, the lonely the beautiful mess. And our Father had a heart so burdened for us that he stepped down from his glory, immersed himself in our reality, and lived with us to show us how to live with each other. See, the cross has the final word over sin and death, but the table is the ongoing conversation. The cross has the final word, the table is the ongoing conversation. And we are all invited to the table community of the cross. 
We believe that you are worthy. You are worthy to sit at the table. This table community says you matter. You matter enough that Jesus died on the cross and Jesus left us to care for you and each other at the table. So I want to ask you this. Where are you today? Have you joined the conversation? You know, if you're ready, it's never too late. Today can be that day. Today can be your first step. Today you can encounter the cross of Jesus and from there sit at the table. You are invited. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you hear him and open the door, he will come into your life. And you know what Jesus will do? He's going to come in your kitchen and he's going to sit at your table and he's going to have dinner with you. Will you join me in prayer this morning? If you are uh, feeling ready this morning to invite Jesus into your life, you can pray this with me. Jesus, I recognize that I need you. I recognize that you are the Lord of all. I recognize all you have done for me. I know what you did on the cross. I want to invite you into my life this morning. I want to encounter you in a new and fresh way today and from here on out. Be the Lord of my life and the center of it all. Give me the courage to walk each day with you and the courage to sit at tables and remember you. And together we thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us so deeply that you desire a relationship with us so much that you sent Jesus here to show us what that would look like. Thank you for covering our sins with the cross. Thank you for tearing the veil in two and making yourself available for each and every one of us. Thank you for sitting at the wrong tables and modeling what true love is. Thank you that the story doesn't end with your death and that it goes on and on and on. We love you, we honor you, we worship you today and always. In your name we pray, amen.